we're supposed to do, just like that uh, song said, count your many blessings. Okay. Winning the spiritual battle, the weapons of God, praises of God as a weapon, and I've subtitled that, Freedom from Judgment and Bondage. Hallelujah. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles, or just follow along with the PowerPoint presentation. Reading from God's Word. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, and a two-edged sword in their hand. Psalm 149, verse 6. Also reading from the 107th Psalm, starting at verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and scorned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul, their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent forth His word and healed them, and delivered them from their transgressions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. Father, Lord, we bless You and thank You for Your Word, Lord. And may it speak to us, Lord God. You sent Your, forth, your Word, Lord, uh, to Your people Israel. But all too often, Lord, they forgot it and they forgot Your wonderful works on their behalf. And may it not happen to us, Lord God. And may us pay heed to your warning, Lord, uh, remembering you for all of your goodness to us, Lord, and the wonderful works that you have wrought in our lives, Lord. Amen. And Lord, uh, may your word go forth uh, from this pulpit this morning, Lord God, and touch our hearts, Lord, and help us, Lord, to put it into practice. Help us to ponder it and meditate upon it on this, your Lord's day, Lord, and put it into practice. And we thank you for being with us and visiting us in a mighty way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today I'm returning to the series on the weapons of God. It was part of our larger series on spiritual warfare. You remember I've been preaching on this ever since I took over as pastor. Uh, preaching from the message, Winning the Spiritual Battle, and specifically I've been talking about the weapons of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What, is this, what are the strongholds that are talking about that? Those are the strongholds that the enemy builds up in our lives because of our sin and our rebellion against God. But he is always there to give us these weapons whenever we would reach out to him and use them. Those weapons include, as we've preached on throughout this series, the Word of God, the Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You know, I heard something interesting the other day. You know, usually we think of the Sword of the Spirit as being an offensive weapon, right? But actually... It's a defensive weapon too, right? Because the enemy is wielding his sword against us in our life. So we take that sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and we parry, you know, we every blow that the enemy uh, aims at our lives, we, we parry it, we counteract it. That's what Jesus did, right? Because the enemy in his temptation kept on tempting him. You know, make these stones to become bread. You know, uh, throw yourself down from the temple. You know, God's going to send his holy angels to hold you up. And uh, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will bow down and worship me. And what did Jesus did do? He took the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and he parried every one of those temptations to get him to sin. And it didn't work on him because he knew the Word of God. So know the Word of God, brothers and sisters, and use it to parry off those temptations that the enemy throws our way. Hallelujah. Okay. There's also prayer in the Spirit. We spend a lot of time on intercessory prayer. Uh, fasting. Fasting both from food and from the things that maybe uh, uh, we like to do, but rob us of our time with the Lord. We talked about the name of Jesus and the power behind it. Amen. And the yeah. blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And finally, now we're on the final weapon, which is the high praises of God. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So we can use that praise to, directed to the Almighty God and enthrone Him with our praises. So we've been covering that last one, the high praises of God in recent weeks. And we looked at the examples in scriptures, such as Jehoshaphat against the three nations that were attacking him. And he used 
They, they used the high praises of God. And I believe that what happened when they praised God is they set the enemies that were uh, the uh, demonic forces that were energizing these three armies against one another. And they all started fighting one another. And what happened? By the time that the armies of Judah got there, they were all dead. And then the armies of uh, uh, the Lord spent three days, it said, picking up the spoils of war. Hallelujah. We saw the praise was birthed in the early church and was a normal part of daily church life and was used by the disciples to defeat persecution. And no greater example of that was when Paul and Silas were beaten and then thrown into prison and they they didn't just sit there moping, oh, why you got let us happen to us? But instead, they were praying and singing hymns and praises to God. And what happened? God sent an earthquake. And they could have run out at that point, uh, free men, but they stayed there because God had a soul for them to win for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer and... He, he and his whole household got saved. So in spite of their suffering, God was triumphant and he led an entire household to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, now we looked at, saw that there are two kinds of praise. You know, in general, as I see it, you know, that I, as I've meditated on that, there's two basic kinds of praise. First of all, there is thanksgiving. And this is what we've been covering for the last uh, few weeks in this series. Uh, this is where we praise God for what He is doing, what He has done, what He is doing, and will do in the future for us. As Christians, we are called to express gratitude for the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And he's bestowing unto us right now in the presence and what he will bestow on us in the future. And the second kind of praise is adoration. Adoration is worship. Worship, the main word for worship means worship. So put that in your mind. Worship is the same as worship. God is worthy of our praise, and therefore we are to give Him our worship. Where we worship God for who and what He is. He is worthy of our praise for His wonderful attributes. And these attributes include, but are not restricted to, His love. God is love. His eternity. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His holiness, His justice, His truthfulness, and His omni-attributes. Omni means all. So don't shy away from omni. When you see that word omni in front of some word, it means all. Omnipresence, God is everywhere present. Omnipotent, God is all-powerful. And omniscience. Those are just a few of them. 
I intend to maybe spend an entire message on each one of these attributes. But that is what we call adoration. You adore God because of who and what He is. Now we've talked about why we should be thankful. It's beneficial to train our hearts to give thanks as being thankful helps us to give credit to those who deserve it. You know, we're to be thankful to God, but we're also to be thankful to other people when they do things for us. You know, Dolly and I spent a wonderful time of visiting with our relatives in the Phoenix area. And, you know, we have to be thankful to them, you know, for putting us up or putting up with us, one of the two. <laughs> But especially, at, uh, you know, uh, to God, of course. Okay? So, and, and at the same time, this keeps us from being resentful. You know, show me somebody that's resentful in life. It's a person that doesn't, uh, is not thankful for what they have. It presents them from being resentful, arrogant, you know. You didn't do it of your own or being discouraged. So often we get discouraged. If we're thankful, we won't be discouraged. Being thankful keeps us from allowing what we don't have to define our lives. You know that song, the other man's grass is always greener, sun shines brighter on the other side. And I like the conclusion there. Some are lucky, some are not. Just be thankful for what you got. Hallelujah. It's easy to look at other people and be envious of them. You know what that's called? That's called being covetous. Oh, I wish I had that man's uh, uh, house, or I wish I had his money, or his car, or his wife, or husband, you know. You know, you become covetous. What does the Tenth Commandment tell us? It says, Thou shalt not covet. Okay? Don't covet anything that belongs to someone else. Be thankful for what God has given you. It also keeps us humble and reminds us of our utter dependence on God. And every day there's thousands of reasons to praise and thank God and you don't have to look far to see them if you're looking for them so the first thing you should do when you wake up from your sleep every morning is to pray and thank God for the new day and ask for his guidance ahead the tremendous opportunities that he gives you every day Starting out with it's a new opportunity, another day that you can draw closer to God than you have been before. If we would just look at each day that, that, like that, you know, this is my opportunity to get closer to you, God, and I give you this day. You know, I count my blessings. We can easily lose sight of the blessings in front of us if we don't. Now, I gave you four reasons to always thank God. First of all, you thank God for His mercy, love, and faithfulness. 
Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. You know, that's, you know, we're going to be uh, going through the 107th Psalm. And one thing, a word that you encounter over and over again is the word chesed. Chesed love, the chesed love of God in the Hebrew means God is faithful. You know, in, in the New Testament, we place a big premium on <clears throat> the grace of God. But the uh, Old Testament saints always placed a premium on the faithful the faithful love of God. Okay? So, God not only saved us from our sins, but He is actively loves us every day. He loves us so much that He opened up the door so that we could enjoy an eternity with Him. And number two on that is He has not abandoned us to our sin. You know, if we were left to our own devices, you know what would happen? We would eventually sink deeper and deeper into sin. Sometimes we wonder, why does God only give me one life? One life to live. And it's because one life is more than enough time to decide if you are going to live for God or you are going to live for yourself and pleasing your own lust. You have that choice. You have that choice every day when you wake up, as I've been saying. Number two, you praise God and thank Him for His abundant goodness and daily provision. We can thank our Heavenly Father for the tremendous goodness He has already bestowed upon us. And we can look forward to future blessings if we would only ask. So often we don't have because we don't ask. You know, the Apostle James wrote that. You have not because you ask not. And you ask, but you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You're just concerned about yourself and not praising God for what He has done for you and what He will do for you. Okay? Now, Jesus... These uh, provisions include giving us each day our daily bread, just as uh, Jesus tells us in the model prayer. Remember we talked about the model prayer? Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. But it's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer on our behalf as the uh, believers in Him. That's the Lord's Prayer. But what most people call the Lord's Prayer is really just a model prayer. It gives us a model prayer. It's not intended that you just mouth it like vain repetitions. But it's to the skeleton, the model, that we are to pattern our prayers after. Or the pattern prayer. Okay? And what did the model prayer tell us? Jesus said to that we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Okay? So you pray for your daily provision. You also thank God for your salvation and the salvation of others. Just thank God. You know, you're praying for your uh, 
unsaved friends and relatives. Try thanking God instead. Thank you, God, that you're going to reach, you know, this person in my life. Hallelujah. You know, and when you praise God for your salvation, it means that you never take for granted what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the fourth one that I covered, you praise God, you thank God for His numerous deliverances. God's deliverance in our lives is why you and I are still alive. If God withheld His deliverance from you, the enemy would have annihilated you, he would have killed you, he would have destroyed your life long ago. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief does not come but except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So in perhaps that one verse, Jesus gives us the clearest definition in Scripture of what the devil's central mission is in this life. He called him the thief because he's out there to steal from you. Steal your joy. Steal your money. Steal your family from you. But better yet, he would like to kill us. He would kill every single person in this room in a heartbeat if he could do it. Or if he can't kill you, then he's out to destroy you and your Christian witness and all that you hold dear in life. But remember this, brothers and sisters. The devil has no more control over you than what you are ye- uh, what you yield over to him. Now you say, well, how do I yield this control over the devil? By submitting to the temptations that he throws you. The temptation to sin in various ways. And we've all got our weak points, and he knows exactly what they are. Ever since the day that you were born, he was looking for a way to tempt you. To lead you away from the Lord God. And he does that by probing you and finding your weaknesses. Remember, I told you, you know, Jesus said that we're to be fishers of men. The devil is fishers of men too. And he throws out his temptations. He does that very early in your life. He finds out what your weakness is, what you're going to bite on. And he won't let you hear the end of it if you submit to it. Okay, now, an illustration of what I'm talking about is found in the 107th Psalm. You know, I once heard a uh, preacher put it this way. He said, there's a lot of meat in Psalms. Meat, that is the solid food. And he was right. That's why... You know, it's good to spend time reading in the Psalms every day. You know, Dolly and I, as part of our uh, uh, bedtime uh, scripture reading and Bible study before we uh, pray and uh, go to sleep, we always, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, one-year Bible that we have, you know, it always has a reading in the Psalms. 
So Psalm 107 is a picture of what happened to Israel during their history. It opens up kind of on a positive note. Verse 1 of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy. There it is, the chesed love. His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, this scripture, the 107th Psalm, speaks of the judgment of Israel due to their sin of not entering the law uh, land by faith. It says in verse 4 of Psalm 107, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Okay? Now you're going to find out that in spite of all God's blessing and leading them out of Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, wouldn't let them go. So, Moses got up there and proclaimed judgment upon them. And they got hit with plague after plague after plague. Ten plagues in all. And finally, after the plague of the death of the firstborn, including the firstborn of Pharaoh, he says, all right, you guys go and get out of here. You know, I'm tired of all these plagues and these judgments. And after Israel had left, he said, you know what? I shouldn't have let them go. You know, they were doing all of my bidding, you know, my slave labor and everything. Let's go back and get them. And he sent the entire Egyptian army out after them. And he had them backed up against the Red Sea. And what happened? Moses stretched out his staff. The Red Sea parted. Israel walked through. And then after the last person was through, the Egyptians follow after them. And then the waters rushed together and the entire army was drowned. Okay? Then they get out in the wilderness. What happened? You know, they said, did you lead us out to die? You know, where's the water? And uh, God had directed Moses to strike the, uh, the rock. The rock was a type of Christ and the water flowed out. You know, that, that was a type of the living water that God, the Holy Spirit, that God gives to us here under the new covenant. Then they said, uh, we're going to starve to death. And what does God do? God sent them the manna. And then after a while, they said, hey, we don't like this manna. You know, the same in, oh, we, we want meat to eat, you know, we want flesh to eat, we want the leeks and the garlics, you know, from you know, and so God sends them the quail, every time he gave them, we're going to look at this a little bit later in, in here, but every time God answered their, you know uh, uh, request, he met the, all of their needs okay and uh, so they're wandering you know, and, and then, then, you know, they got to the brink of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God pr promised them. And what did they do? He sent spies, Moses sent the spies out. Ten of them came back and said, oh, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, just the way it was described. But the inhabitants there were giants. 
And we were as grasshoppers in uh, their sight. And uh, uh, they, you know, in our sight too. And so they didn't enter in uh, because of their unbelief. And what happened? They had to wander around in that wilderness as we just read there in uh, verse 4 of Psalm 107 for 40 long years. I like the way that it is described in, in the book of Hebrews. It says that their carcasses, their dead bodies just fell in the wilderness. They couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. <clears throat> Now, much of the rest of this psalm, the 107th psalm, fits the description of their history during the time of the judges, too. But overarching, the overarching theme in this psalm is this thought. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's repeated four times in the psalm. In verse 8, and 15 and 21, we just read those uh, verses a little while ago, and then it's repeated again in verse 31. Okay? So that's what the theme is, that if you would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works, all these disasters would not fall upon you. In other words, if men would not fail... To praise and glorify God for His goodness, mercy, and mighty works on their behalf, they would not forget Him and serve other gods in their lives. That's the problem with America today, as I've been sharing for several weeks in that uh, series on Return of the Gods. America has forgotten the Lord and what He has done for us and the blessings he has given us. He has blessed America more than any other nation in the history of man. But this is what happened to Israel during the period under the judges. They would forget God. They would forget what he did for them. And what did they do? Because they forgot him, they began to serve the gods of the other nations. Again, Baal, Ashtoreth and Moloch. And as a punishment for this, God would give them over to the hand of their enemies who would oppress them and they would put them into bondage. And finally, when Israel would get to its wit's end, uh, <clears throat> they would cry out to God, to the Lord, and he would send them a deliverer. And in the case of uh, the book of Judges, he would send them judges. And then there would again be peace in the land. God would give them deliverance over their enemies. But then uh, all of a sudden, the people would forget God again and again serve under other gods. And then the oppression. And it was an endless cycle. You read about this over and over again in the book of Judges. Now in Psalm 107, we read through a couple of those cycles in the opening scripture, as I read in the opening scripture. And you know what? This happens to us individually too. 
It happens to us as individuals. If you forget God in your life, then you are going to experience oppression and opposition from the enemy. And you are going to uh, suffer bondage as a consequence. It also happens corporately too. It's what's happening in America right now. And this, the things that are happening to America right now are because we have corporately departed from the living God. Too often we fall into sin and backslide, but if we would just praise the Lord and begin each day with thanksgiving, we would not leave ourselves open to the enemy's temptations. Isn't that what Jesus also said in the model prayer? He said, lead us not into temptation. God doesn't tempt us, but if we don't seek his protection every day, the enemy comes in like a flood and tempts us in our areas of weakness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's supposed to be part of our daily prayer every day. And if you don't make it a part of your daily prayer, it's no wonder you're getting tempted in your areas of weakness. God promises us, Psalm 107 verse 9, He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry with goodness. The longing soul, that is, your, your soul is longing for these things. You're hungry, but you don't really know what you're hungry for. You're hungry for God's word. And you're, <clears throat> God would give you that hungry soul of yours, goodness, if you would just seek him. Too often we fail to praise God for his goodness and mercy to us. And we start listening to the gods of the, uh, of the world. We listen to the God of this world. Remember my conclusion when I talked about Baal was that Baal, for me, you know, the more I thought about it, Baal is just the spirit of the world. And the spirit of Baal, the spirit of the world, tells you again that if you follow fortune, fame, power, and pleasure, the spirit of the world says, pursue these things, and if you get enough of them, you'll have what you need to be satisfied in life. But we know that that's a lie. That the people that have the most of those seem to be the most hungry. And the more they get, the more they want, and the less satisfied they are with what they have. So, the results of listening to the world. Verse 10 of Psalm 107. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. Because, why are they prisoners? Because they rebelled against the words of the Lord, of God, and scorned the counsel of the Most High. You know, brothers and sisters, when I was going through, I said I, I could spend, uh, you know, weeks and weeks on this 107th Psalm. Because there's, again, there's so much meat that's in there. 
Verse 12. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. They were oppressed by the nations around them. Midian. The Philistines. These nations around them conquered them and oppressed them. There was nobody to help. But then what happened? It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. This again is another uh, verse that's repeated again and again in the 107th Psalm. And then God gave them deliverance. It says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Yeah. Hallelujah. God's deliverance is just a prayer away for you. But you've got to call out to Him in honesty and admit you cannot help yourself. You cannot save yourself. So if you listen to the spirit of the world and you fall into sin, bondage is always the result. You remember the story of Samson? He fell into sin, right? And what happened? His girlfriend Delilah outfoxed him, wormed his secret of being a Nazarite out of him, had his hair cut, and then the Philistines come in and they grab him. And he says, well, I'm going to just shake them off like I did at the time. You know, one of the most tragic verses in there, in, in the Bible, is the next verse. But he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. The Lord departed from him and he didn't even know it. So, they grabbed him. They bound him. They put his eyes out and then they put him to work grinding in a mill. So that's what sin does. I've told you this before. Sin binds you it blinds you and it grinds you. Another quote I've given to you before. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than what you're willing to pay. That's what sin does for you. But again, we have the exhortation there. Verse 15 of Psalm 107. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. So, the reasons for giving thanks to the Lord, He has give, broken the gates of bronze and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Now, to get the full impact of uh, what this means is you have to remember what uh, metals mean in the Bible. You have four primary metals that are talked about in the Bible. You have, first of all, gold. What does gold symbolize? Gold symbolizes God and the nature of God. In the tabernacle, when they made the Ark of the Covenant, they made it out of acacia wood, which is very durable wood. 
last forever. And the overlay, laying the uh, uh, chest, the ark of acacia wood was what? Gold. Also, the other things, items of furniture in the tabernacle. The golden altar of incense. The golden table of showbread. And the golden candelabra, or the menorah. Everybody's seen it. You know, it's kind of the symbol of the Jewish faith. You know, it's got uh, a, a candlestick, and it's got <clears throat> six branches, three on either side. Everybody's seen it. What was that made out of? It was made out of gold. Gold is symbolic of God and the nature of God. And then you've got silver. What's silver the symbol of? Silver is symbolic of man. Jesus and Joseph were both sold for pieces of silver. 20 for Joseph and 30 for the Lord. I guess inflation had hit back then too. <laughs> and finally you have the parable of the lost coin. Luke chapter 15. Important, very important chapter in Scripture. You got the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. The one in the middle there, parable of the lost coin, what metal were those coins made out of? Silver. Silver. Right? Okay. Those silver coins symbolize a man. What do you have on the silver coins? You've got an image, right? Okay, you've got the silver coins with the imprint of the divine nature upon them. We are all made in the image of God. So we have that divine image on each one of us. And it was worth this to this uh, woman, the woman, by the way, uh, is symbolic of the church. And that's how the church is to go out, seek and save that which is lost. Okay? So once again, silver, the symbol of man. Man in his perfection, how he's to be perfect. You know, Jesus said we're to be perfect as our, or mature as our heavenly father is perfect. And then you have bronze. What does bronze signify in Scripture? Bronze signifies judgment. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 23, talks about the curses. You have the blessings in the beginning of Deuteronomy 28. And then you have the curses. And one of the curses that was promised upon Israel if they departed from him was that the heavens would become as brass or bronze. In other words, the rain wouldn't come. And that kind of reached its peak during the time of Elijah when Elijah says, you know, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, you know, no rain or dew shall come for until I say so. And it lasted for three and a half years. Remember I pointed this out with Baal. Baal was supposed to be the, the god of the rain. And so Elijah pronounced, 
judgment upon Israel and upon uh, Baal himself. You also have a story in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 26 through 27. Solomon, his father, this is during the reign of King Rehoboam. Solomon, you know, his father, departed from the living God and began serving these other gods. We talked about that before. But God says, you know, because if you're Father David, I'm not going to bring this judgment upon you in your lifetime. But it started right away under the next king, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, you know, he refused to return to the Lord. So God says, okay, the judgment is going to be upon you. And he sent Shishak, the uh, king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, it's kind of funny because uh, uh, Solomon's first wife, she was the daughter of Pharaoh. He did that for a political alliance. Well, it didn't do him a whole lot of good when Rehoboam took over. And one of the things that Shishak did is he went in and he carried off the shields of gold that Solomon had put in his palace. And so what did Rehoboam do? Who knows what Rehoboam did after they carried away those shields? He replaced them with shields made out of bronze. So he exchanged the presence of the Lord for judgment. Yes, ouch. Okay. And if you allow sin in your life, you're going to be under the judgment of God. You also had the bronze altar and the bronze laver before you went to the tabernacle and later on the temple so that your sin might be judged. And finally, we have iron. What's iron the symbol of? Well, a symbol of power. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, when he sees all these beasts and everything, he sees the beast which uh, symbolized Rome, and it had teeth of iron and crushed everything before it. And it was not only the symbol of power, and right now, you know, during the time of Jesus, they were under the dominion of Rome, but it also symbolizes bondage. What do you make chains out of? Iron. What do you make the, the bars in a prison? You make the bars out of prison and prison out of iron. Okay? So, what I'm trying to say here is you need to replace the, bond, the bronze and the iron in your life with the silver and the gold. As long as there is sin in your life, you are under the judgment of God and the devil's bondage. And the only solution to these is to repent and replace them with God's justification, that's the silver, and become the person that God wants you to be and His holiness his justification and his holiness 
the gold that becomes the gold in your life. Live God's life. Let Him live His life through you and live a holy life. So silver means what God intends for you to be in this life and the gold is the holiness that He wants you to have partaking of His nature. Verse 17 of Psalm 107. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. They were afflicted. They were put under bondage by the nations. And God, the devil will put you under bondage too if you allow sin in your life. They sold abhorred all manner of food all manner of spiritual food that is what did Jesus say he quoted verse in Deuteronomy he said that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God so how what is your attitude towards the word of God if you're not in it every day it's like you're abhorring his spiritual food that he wants to give you. They abhor their soul. Notice it's your soul, okay? Right? Not your physical body. Your soul abhorred all manner of spiritual food. And they drew near to the gates of death. They're hovering on the edge of spiritual death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Okay, now here's the verse. I really love this. He sent his word, and he healed them, and delivered them out from their destruction. The devil was trying to destroy them spiritually. But they were being destroyed spiritually because they allowed worship of these other gods in their lives. And then finally, verse 21, once again, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. You see, the problem with Israel... You know what their problem was? They forgot. Backtrack to one Psalm to 106. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them. The devil hates you. And redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. This is look, hearkening back again to the Red Sea. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Not one of the Egyptians' armies survived. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. You know, right after the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's armies, you know, they had a big celebration. I think it was uh, uh, Miriam, you know, that uh, led the worship there. Moses' sister, and they sang, you know, had a big song, celebration, 
But what happened? Verse 13 of Psalm 106. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his did not wait for his counsel. They didn't wait for God to show them what to do next, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Okay, this is when they started complaining. Oh, where's our water? Oh, what are we going to do for food? Oh, we want those leeks and garlics and the meat that we had in Egypt. You know, complaining. Complain, complain, complain. And it says he gave them their request. But then what happened? You see that? He sent leanness to their souls. Their flesh profited, but their souls were lean. Their souls got skinny. Instead of thriving under God and His Word, their souls became lean. And then they made a calf in Horeb. Remember I talked about this when I talked about Baal? What was a calf in the wilderness? What did that symbolize? Well, I told you about uh, Baal, how you know half of the images of Baal feature Baal with a bull's head. And so the calf, this is the uh, male, male calf, it symbolized that they wanted to worship Baal, the god of the, the lands there. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they exchanged their glory, that is, the glory, God should have been their glory, into the image of an ox that eats grass. Verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot all about God uh, God and what he had, all these miracles that he had done for them in freeing them from the bondage of the Egyptians. Now, what was interesting to me, though, is the story of Gideon. Because I see, again, you know, Gideon is right at the beginning, you know, the opening chapters of the book of Judges. And Gideon, an angel of the Lord, appears to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if Jehovah is with us, then why has all this befallen them? They were under the bondage of Midian, and they were worshiping Baal. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So Gideon says, Our fathers are telling all these miracles that God you know, wrought, delivering our people from the people of Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, the people of Egypt, the people of Egypt, you know, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, 
all the rest of the things that happened in the wilderness. Why has he forsaken? So they remembered, but you know what they didn't do? They didn't apply it. Right? They didn't apply it. They didn't put two and two together and said, this is the God, the Jehovah delivered us from Israel, Egypt. God delivered us from Egypt, but therefore we should make him our God, not Baal. And they returned to Baal, the gods of these nations. Okay? So they forgot all about God. But you know something about God? We may forget Him, but He will never forget us. You know, I remember hearing this song, you know, and uh, the words to it go, Can the rivers forget how to run? Can a mother forget her own son? Can the sun forget to shine? Yes, they can. But my God can't forget. God will never forget you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And <clears throat> that was the conclusion here. Verse 14 of uh, Judges chapter uh, 6. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go this your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? In other words, Gideon... I haven't forgotten my people, and I'm raising up you as an, my instrument to bring them deliverance. And if you know the story of Gideon, you'll know exactly how he did it. Okay? Now, if God didn't forget Israel, how much more will he not forget us? Because we have a better covenant, we have better promises, we have a better high priest. You know, that's the whole, the, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Don't return to this Judaism because I have come and died on the cross for your sins. And I have given you the Holy Spirit. Now, back in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon certain people, the prophets. But we have a better covenant and the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. Everybody say that. The Spirit dwells in me. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a better covenant, a better high priest, and better promises. That's what the theme of the book of Hebrews is. Better, 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 better. Why should you go back to Judaism? You have this better covenant. Okay? Now, let's try to wrap this message up here. Okay? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So the healing for your soul begins when you accept his word by faith. The children of Israel incurred God's judgment because they spurned his word. Verse 11 of Psalm 107. Because they rebelled against the words of God and scorned the counsel of the Most High. 
but he promises to send it again to them and it will bring healing to them if they would uh, receive it by faith. He sent forth his word and healed them. Learn to receive God's gifts and blessing with thanksgiving and you will never backslide. That's what I'm trying to get across to you, brothers and sisters. You know, where it talks about, oh, that men would, you know, praise the Lord and uh, glorify Him for His uh, <clears throat> mighty works. Okay? It, you will never backslide if you do that every day. Every day, walk, uh, wake up and think about those verses there in Psalm 107. And you will never backslide and fall into the enemy's traps and enticements. And above all else, never forget what God has done for you. Amen. So, I'll cl conclude with this. Steps to healing. If you find yourself backslidden and you're undergoing bondage, and trials because of it. Cry out to God if you are backslidden in the midst of bondage and trials as a consequence. Cry out to God. Number two, remember His Word and apply it to your life. You know, He alone is to be your God and not your own lusts and desires. But the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus put it this way, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Number three, receive his gifts and blessings with thanksgiving, which you express to him every day. And this will prevent you from that backsliding. And no, number four, do not forget God. Instead, let Him, instead love Him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind as directed by His Word. Okay, I'm going to finish up uh, with a, a song here. Go ahead and cue that up. Uh, it's called Thank You, Jesus by Hillsong. And in that song, he lists all of the blessings that he has given us. But the problem is, it seemed like they didn't want to be set apart. That's why they started following out after these foreign gods. Now, if it was true of Israel that they were set apart, how much more is it true for us? We're to be a peculiar people. That's what the Bible talks about us. And we're to give Him first place in our lives and not our own lusts. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's pray. Father... Help us to remember this, Lord God. There's so many blessings, Lord, that uh, psalm that we just heard and sang, Lord God, says it all, Lord. We need to give you first 
place in our lives. And Lord, truly say, I love you, Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah for what you have done for us. Help us never to forget, Lord, it seems like the children of Israel had the Red Sea and other miracles to look forward to. But we look forward to the greatest miracle of all, Lord, how you shed your blood there on that cross for us. Yes, thank you. And so, Lord, help us to never forget the cross. And, Lord, think and meditate upon it every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Let's...